Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to sport our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Hemp Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe. We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. Andy, it is hard to believe that we have been having in-depth weekly conversations about movies since 2011. You are telling me. Producing this show week after week requires a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, one easy way is by using our Originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. Just visit thenextreel.com slash originals. Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these great discussions. I love The Next Reel Season 4. Do you know why? I don't. Why? Because we got to talk about my favorite movie, Terry Gilliam's Brazil. That's not even an adaptation. Uh, no, but it was such a great part of our, of our great Terry Gilliam series. And a few others in that series were adaptations, like The Adventures of Baron Munchausen, adapted from Raspi's stories, and La Jete, which inspired 12 Monkeys. Oh, right. And, and for our Man With No Name trilogy, we saw how Sergio Leone's A Fistful of Dollars was basically stolen from Kurosawa's Yojimbo. We added Labor Day to our Jason Reitman series, adapted from Joyce Maynard's novel. Oof, there's one we'll always regret. Our big Stephen King series covered adaptations like The Shining, Cujo, Christine, and Stand By Me, great horror, and coming-of-age tales. Another Coen Brothers adaptation, too. We got to talk about how they turned Homer's The Odyssey into Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? For our holiday series, we did The Bishop's Wife and The Poseidon Adventure. And who could forget seeing Alec Guinness in the adaptation of Kind Hearts and Coronets during our series dedicated to him. We really need to do more of his films. Truly. We had our first film noir series with classics like Double Indemnity, Detour, and Out of the Past. And our black and white cinematography of James Wong Howe series with The Thin Man, Sweet Smell of Success, Seconds, and King's Row. So many adaptations. Oh, you're not kidding. Dive deeper into these originals and more at thenextreel.com slash originals. Every book you buy helps support our show. Get the full list at thenextreel.com slash originals and start reading today. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to The Next Reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. In just a matter of seconds, you're going to hear a classic episode of this show from back in the day when we called ourselves Movies We Like. 
It took us a while to settle into the show's format, so you'll notice some differences as you listen to these episodes. For instance, it takes us a bit of time to actually get into the conversation about the movie. Things like that. But we're still proud of the conversations about the movies themselves, and we think they're worth keeping in the library. So enjoy these episodes from our back catalog. And you can become part of our Discord community, learn more about the show, and find out how you can become a supporting member at thenextreel.com. So thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to The Next Reel. We appreciate your time and attention, and we hope you enjoy the show. How do I look? Do I have anything in my teeth? Uh-huh. Which yeah, one? No, not, not, yeah, no. Next Is one. it over? Next one. Over. Did I get it? Over another one. Yeah. Mm, how about that? Is that better? Uh, uh, there's something on the other side, too. Mm, I think that's like a walnut. Oh, that's your tooth. Ooh, wow. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's just a dead tooth. <laughs> that's not a thing. That's supposed to be there. Won't be there for long, though. <laughs> Hi. How you doing? I am uh, I'm great. What? Wow. Wow. Why? What happened? What happened? Nothing. I just feel great. Well, congratulations, Andrew. Shouldn't shouldn't we always go around feeling great? We should. And then if things go wrong, then you go down from there. You always should, start at an A. You start at an A and just whittle it away. Yeah, you until should start you're average. F and work your way up. <laughs> I, I've made it about to a B, but oof, I'm pooped. I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know if that feels very good because then every day you're losing something, as opposed to the opposite, where every day there's a chance you're going to be on a slightly higher step. Wow. I guess you can sell it either way. <laughs> <laughs> it's a glass half full, glass half empty. Really, it's just a glass kind of an argument. Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. hey, I've got water in this cup. <laughs> hey, it's water. <laughs> That's fantastic. So, you want to talk about movies now? <laughs> sure. everybody it's the next reel thanks for joining us i'm pete Wright, and that there is andy nelson ho 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 happy holidays my friend yes indeed how do you feel are you feeling good i i already told you i feel great well that was before the credits roll oh oh do I you feel how do you feel now miserable <laughs> technically technically i'm lying on my bed all drugged up <laughs> on my meds right now <laughs> Oh, that's right. The charade is up, so we can go <laughs> ahead and say we're 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 pre-celebrating. Yes. So let's let's just uh, well hold on a second. Uh, first of all, go get to know us a little bit. Head over to thenextreel.com. You can learn all about this show. You can listen to our past episodes. You can check out the monthly film board. Uh, by this time, we will have just had one on the Hobbit, and uh, I'm sure it was a great conversation. Um, and uh, I'm sure it will have been a great, great conversation. And uh, and you can join us on all the social platforms, um, uh, you know, the Facebook and the, the um, uh, Twitter. And most importantly, and this is the big one, if you head over to Instagram.com, Instagram.com slash the next reel, you will uh, you will see the, the photos that cross the feed. And if you guess which film is portrayed in those photos, you will be participating in 
the hashtag Pony Prize, hashtag Guess the Movie, hashtag Standy versus the People. Uh, I already did Pony Prize. I was already in the hashtags there. Hashtag Pony Prize again Ooh, contest. Pony Prize. Yeah, it's a double Pony Prize. And tonight, only three years early. <laughs> <laughs> supposed to be, what was it? I think June 17th, 2018. Something like that, yeah. Uh, yeah. We were supposed to do the drawing in 2018, but we have moved it up. Because we've been having such a good time with the Instagram Pony Prize Guess the Movie Standy versus the People Challenge that it is now happening tonight. Yeah, we're jumping the gun a little bit, but it's just because we're so dang excited. <laughs> we're two, two and a half years excited. <laughs> uh, and so here we go. Andy has the list of all the people. Now, who this, what does this contain? Is it to everybody who has participated in the Guess the Movie Challenge? Everybody who's, everybody who's won. Everybody who's won, right, not and, and if you've won multiple times, then your name is in the hat multiple times. That's right, so. just like uh, the lottery. Exactly. Or, or the um, the force for good, the force for change Star Wars, uh, you know, thing. Uh, right. So like, like many that. contests, no, no purchase necessary to enter, and you can enter multiple times. The more you win, the better your odds. Is that a thing? I think that, that, that you may have that wrong. The more you win, the better you... <laughs> Did you mean to mess my brain up? Uh, apparently, I, I, uh, apparently, I'm the one who needs to be done. <laughs> the more you win... I think, no, the, I think it's the more sense. you play, the better your odds. Oh, it's the more you win. I did say it right. See, you I don't think head. you did. Are you or, insane? No, no, no. Listen, the more you win the weekly uh, challenge, the more times your name is entered. Oh, that's wicked. Yeah. You are a wicked trickster. That's what I'm saying. All right, go ahead they, and pick the... You threw the, me for a minute. You, I, you should be thrown because over. you were speaking uh, speaking strangely. It was some strange sort of language. You sounded like my like some aged grandmother <laughs> who d- doesn't... I don't know words anymore. Go ahead. Give it. Here we go. Go. And the winner is in my random number generator, number fourteen, which is oh, and it turns out to be Blades of Glory, and that was uh, won by Cameron L. Ryan. Cameron L. Ryan. Look at that. Yeah, Cameron. Oh. She had her name in there a good number of times. So she, she had a- crushed it. Good uh, chance of winning, and she did. So, uh, yeah, it's exciting. It was a good run for Cameron L. Ryan. Yes, indeed. Yes, yeah. indeed. And so we, uh, at what point are we going to talk about the, the list of things that Cameron L. Ryan has won? I, I think that's not tonight. I don't think it's tonight, but it's going to be soon, and then we'll likely also have a blog post up listing yes. kind of all the different things that are going to be shipped in a great big box. <laughs> <laughs> including a pony. <laughs> including a live pony. <laughs> <laughs> and hopefully it'll still be alive. By the time <laughs> it it may be alive by the time it reaches Cameron <laughs> Uh So we are very excited to uh, to be able to do this. And, uh, Absolutely. So look for more announcements as to what we win, what we're bequeathing to Cameron L. Ryan coming soon. Let's do trailers. <laughs> Let's. <laughs> You know, this was a this was a surprise, a surprise film for me. The first one that came out was this a surprise for you? It that it was, was. funny. That it was, you enjoyed well, it. It was a surprise that um, 
that it ended up being good in any way, shape, or form, really. Yes. Yes. <laughs> that is true. We're talking, of course, about 2012's uh, uh, Pitch Perfect, and uh, that's a big deal. Why? Because Pitch Perfect 2 uh, is out. Of course, it's been the trailer's been out for, for many weeks now uh, by the time you hear this. But I wanted to just call attention to it because I... Um, I found myself uh, uh, warmed when I saw the trailer for this thing come back, and it has stuck with me. Uh, the fact that this trailer is out. Elizabeth Banks is taking the helm as the director. This is her first major uh, feature um, film, and um, she has been uh, enormously candid about the experience of directing a feature. If you look for, um, you know, there are a number of videos of Elizabeth Banks talking on YouTube. You can catch those interviews and and hear her talking about the experience of directing a film and and not only directing the film but directing a major musical um, event as well. And it it looks um, uh, it looks like she is um, well. She's she's approaching it with her normal sort of public facing good nature and. And uh, sort of with the the sober reality of what she is undertaking, it looks like a really um, fun, funny uh, uh, second run at uh, at something that I just, I don't think anybody saw coming the first time around. So I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, I I completely agree. I mean, it's, it was, uh, I I think there just, um, there was this, sense of honesty in the storytelling in the first one that really kind of kept it um centered even though it you know it was it was uh um it was a fun comedy it had all that stuff going for it but it just it felt genuine and that's i think what uh drew me in and and drew a lot of people in so um this one looks uh really fun also and i am excited about elizabeth banks being uh kind of turning to directing i think that uh there is um, something about her that I've always enjoyed in her acting. I think she's always having fun, always doing something, uh, just kind of pushing things and doing things. Um, I, I like the choices she takes. And then she's done uh, some little directing things, and uh, I'm kind of curious to see how it turns out. Uh, she did a segment in Movie 43. That's the only thing I've right. seen um, that she's directed thus far. <laughs> um <laughs> And so I don't know if I should judge her on that or not. But, um, hey, you know, I, I'm always for more female directors. So bring it on, Elizabeth. And, you know, the uh, the addition to uh, The Bellas this year is Haley Steinfeld, which is, I, I think, a really funny uh, addition. I mean, she was, she was great. I thought in Ender's Game, of course, she was incredible, transcendent in true grit. Uh, and uh, it, it is a funny sort of transformation that this young actress is making moving from a film like True Grit to Pitch Perfect 2. I find that really amusing. And she's super <laughs> tall. You see she her? She is. towers over everybody. Yeah, she's definitely growing. <laughs> <laughs> Astute commentary, Andy. <laughs> What's yours? Oh, I haven't even said when it's coming out. Uh, it's coming out. Uh, I don't even know when it's coming out. So May fifteenth. Is that one? Yeah, May fifteenth, two thousand fifteen. So uh, I got it in just under the wire. That's right. Phew! Crushed it. <laughs> Crushed it. That makes me laugh every time. Well, mine. Um, I'm pretty excited for this one, even though I have not been up until I saw the trailer, and that is. Um, Terminator Genesis, the new uh, the new foray into the very mixed up world of time traveling uh, destroyer robots. 
I love this series, uh, particularly the first and the second one. And I may be one of the only people who really enjoys the third one. The fourth one I felt was abysmal. I did enjoy the TV show. This one, I, I will say, I, I have been reading stuff about it, and it sounded like they were just making a complete mess of everything. And I was just convinced that it was going to be another <laughs> salvation all over again. I saw the trailer, and I was like, huh, okay, that's not quite what I was expecting it to be. And I actually think it uh, does some interesting things. I like what they're doing with the uh, the different Arnold Schwarzeneggers. And uh, I like the idea of of how they're continuing to jump back and forth in time, messing with all the different um, you know the different paths in time that uh, kind of are in existence now. And uh, I, I you know I'm I've never been happy with the fact that all the different people making these different Terminator projects keep pretending certain ones didn't like didn't happen. To me, that just doesn't ever make sense when you're making a series of films in a, in a universe to just dismiss a film completely. It's just like, find a way to work around it, people, I would say. Mm-hmm. But I still think that this one looks like they're doing some interesting stuff. The time stuff looks messy, but it doesn't look unapproachably messy to me. I mean, I, I found myself really intrigued by uh, by what they're doing with it. I'm with you. I love this series. I mean, I deeply love this series, and I'm, I'm very excited to see what they do with it. I'm particularly excited to see that um, uh, my dear favorite, the mother of dragons, Daenerys Targaryen, is Sarah Connor, uh, and uh, she is uh, obviously played by uh, Amelia Clark uh, from Game of Thrones. That is a... that's It's just great to see her in something else. Um, uh, big. I, yeah. I agree. And and Alan Taylor is directing it. He's directed some episodes of yes. Game of Thrones. He did Thor the Dark World. That's the last time we talked about right. him. And uh, I think that having helmed the Dark World, I mean, we had our issues with it, but overall, I still enjoyed it uh, quite a bit. And so, it, you know, it, it gives me hope. It, I, I watch this trailer and feel like I think that there's, there's a, a positive vibe that I have with it. Now... I'm trying to remember back to when I saw the trailers for Salvation. Did I feel that way then? For some reason, I don't think I did. I think I had issues with the variety of robots that they were incorporating into it. Um, it felt even, much more like Transformers. Yeah, there was know? like you know the the little motorbike guys, and there's all there's things in the water and all these different things. It was like, it it wasn't it was just like unjustified number of crazy robot bananas robots like it just felt like I I don't know if I was ready for it and maybe they'll do the same thing here and I've already like the the bar was already set so low with salvation that uh, that this will be you know they can get away with more yeah right it's hard to say but you know this does look fun uh, I'm excited I there's a little hesitancy but I'm I'm squashing that and I'm remaining excited. <laughs> So don't disappoint me, Alan. You you have a thing with your inner child, your inner excitement. You have some inner child work to do. You're going to squash him. You're going to lock him in a closet. There's counseling going on here. <laughs> that's that's what else is going on in my safe. That yeah, that's in your, my, in your my, kidney safe. In my kidney safe, yes. Uh, counseling sessions of my inner child. Oh, dear. You know what's weird, Pete? What? I keep drinking my my glass, and every time I look down, it's full again. Hollywood, California, and the studios where the distinguished pictures that bear the name of Samuel Goldwyn are produced. Such films as The Best Years of Our Lives, winner of nine Academy Awards. It was in these very studios that we recently tried to make a trailer for a new and wonderful picture called The Bishop's Wife. You know what a trailer is. 
One of those little films you see at your theater which shows you scenes from some big picture that's coming soon. Well, we made the big picture, and it's on its way. But something happened to the little one. It was on the day we finished all work on The Bishop's Wife. The stars were on their way home. Looks like it. Yes, great job, Loretta. Goodbye, Gary. It's wonderful working with you. Goodbye, David. See you very soon. Very soon, I hope. Bye, David. See you tonight. Oh, that's right. Whoa! What about the trailer? Trailer? Oh, I forgot all about it. Well, they must be set up somewhere. Where are they? Stage six. No, I think they're on eight, David. Eight? Come on, come on. Just a minute, folks. I'm sorry. Can't go in without a pass. Oh, well, uh, you see, we work here. That is, we just finished over there, now we... All right, so you're finished. There's no one stopping you from leaving. But you don't understand, we still have to make the trailer. Well, I'm sure you wouldn't want to stop us from telling people about a great picture like The Bishop's Wife. Have you seen it? <laughs> no, not exactly, but... Then how do you know it's great? Well, we... We had a lot of fun making it, and that's always a very good sign. Well, look, maybe so, but I'm new here. I don't know you folks, unless you've got a pass. I'm David Niven, and I play the bishop. And I'm Loretta Young, and I play the bishop's wife. And I'm Cary Grant, I play... Uh, uh, oh, that's right. Now, wait a minute. <clears throat> What's the matter? Nobody's supposed to know what part I play until they see the picture. Try then what do you need of the trailer? Well, we'd like folks to come in and see the picture. It's very fine, and it's quite the most unusual picture Sam Goldwyn has ever made. Oh, yeah, it's full of surprises. <laughs> Oh, please. Well, if you put it that way. <laughs> I've got an idea. What? The bishop's wife is different. Let's keep it that way. Let's have no trailer. David, a picture without a trailer? No, that's it. Why take all the wonderful surprises out of it before people see it? All right, so, no trailer. No, no trailer. trailer. <laughs> Goodbye. Andy, did you watch the trailer for this thing? I did. Was that the, fantastic? The, the anti-trailer the trailer. The anti-trailer trailer with David Niven and Cary Grant. Uh, how about we, let's not make a trailer. <laughs> Do you know what's funny? Okay, so of course we're talking tonight. This is our, our holiday movie, our Christmas movie, uh, holiday movie of the year. You know, we do this, we do this holiday thing. What are, do you remember off the top of your head? Go. What are our past holiday movies? Well, the first one we did was uh, We're No Angels. Yes, excellent. And, that, and then we did Christmas in July. Also fantastic little trip. And, and then we did Christmas in Connecticut. Which was beautiful. Yeah. I've enjoyed them all. I have enjoyed them all, too. They are a sweet trip down uh, down memory lane here in terms of me not being able to remember the 40s. Uh, but it feels <laughs> like I should be able to remember the 40s because they're so sweet. And uh, so this, uh, The Bishop's Wipe, Wipe, Bishop's Wife, uh, was uh, his 1947 film uh, directed by Harry Coster, uh, written by uh, Robert Sherwood, Leonardo Bergovici, and, uh, you know, it was based on the book. Uh, Robert Nathan book from 19, I the 1920s, uh, starring uh, our, our three principal stars, Cary Grant, Loretta Young, and David Niven. And uh, so meanwhile, back at the trailer, uh, I, I found the trailer really charming. I'm going to play the whole thing. Right, so you by now you'll have heard the whole thing, but no cuts, because it's really it's very funny hearing these three people uh, fake that they're not allowed on the lot because they finished shooting. <laughs> <and> they're <laughs> they're about to be escorted off the lot. Uh, they're not not allowed to go record the trailer, and then David Niven has this brilliant idea: we should not record a trailer. <laughs> I think it's fantastic. Uh, there were more of well, those trailers in that in, in the I think in the, in the 40s films. We've seen another trailer similar to that, right? I, I can't. Uh... 
Marty had one. Marty was, had uh, one. It was just talking. It was, it was Bert Lancaster, Lancaster. Was introducing yeah. the story. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. So that's what I'm thinking of. They're very, very strange. Yeah. Um, so this film, uh, Cary Grant uh, plays. Uh, well, uh, David Niven plays the bishop, Loretta Young, his wife, uh, and uh, Cary Grant plays Dudley. And uh, uh, Niven's uh, character of Henry Broham uh, has some problems because he really he, he wants a, a community cathedral in their in their pleasant little town, and he needs to to raise the funds to get it to happen. And he's having some trouble getting everybody bought in on the uh, on the matter, and and uh, so he prays. And who responds to his prayer but the angel named Dudley, played by Cary Grant. How'd this movie do for you? I enjoyed it. It was a, it was a nice, sweet film. I, you know, it, it, uh, it was different. It was a different experience for me than the other holiday films that we've watched. This one, it, it was a little more serious. I think the other ones that we'd picked had a little more levity. Not to say this one didn't have any levity, but there was a little more um, kind of a serious tone with this. And it's not really a religious film. And uh, I think we'll talk about that a little bit about the religious nature of it, or at least the perceived religious nature of it, at some point. But um, but because of that, uh, the tie into the the bishop and the angel trying to help him with his uh, his stuff, it it just seems to take on an air of a little more seriousness, even though it is kind of does have some of that lighter uh, comedic feel. So I I guess I I was for some reason in my head I had it that it was it was going to be a comedy and uh, not having seen the remake the preacher's wife I really didn't know a whole lot about what to expect from this story and I enjoyed it I really did enjoy it quite a bit it just wasn't what I was expecting it was going to be it's it's funny I I think I'm with you and maybe I I don't know if it was just the general um, sort of gentleness of the film uh, that I, it felt still uh, more like a comedy to me it certainly wasn't a love story and it was it's got this sort of fantastical uh, um, air to it that Cary Grant playing an angel but but one of the things that I think is uh, you know is interesting is is David Niven's role uh, who is really conflicted um, you know he is conflicted in his uh, I think in his faith he's conflicted in his his belief system, uh, the fact that he is approached by a uh, by a, a, an angel, a self-professed angel, uh, he is I- immediately challenged um, in in how he approaches uh, his understanding of his calling, uh, and I I think that's a, that ends up being a, sort of a bold statement, even as as you say it's it's got these comedic elements, and I think Cary Grant plays it uh, plays his role very lightly, uh, but. But boy, David Niven, he he brings his A game in terms of of um, you know a guy in a in a very strange uh, kind of threesome, um, uh, you know, as as he's challenging his the fabric of his belief. That was the most interesting element of the film to me is David Niven as this as this uh, bishop having a conflict, uh, this internal conflict of of fighting for what he wants or at least what he thinks he wants this this brand new cathedral and and doing what is right and it's an interesting conflict to to be playing in uh, out in in the character of a bishop and I, I thought that was really strong and it uh it was really fun to see him 
um, kind of deal with that and his doubt and the way that it kind of kept uh, rearing its ugly head as he was trying to, uh, as he was expecting certain things, but then he was always getting thwarted by this angel doing, you know, these other things that uh, uh, were really working toward making his, uh, the bishop's wife happy because he had been, you know, the bishop had gone down this track of this of this cathedral, and it was basically ruining his marriage. It was uh, it was a it was a kind of a dead end as far as dealing with the people that he was dealing with to get this cathedral done, and um, and what he prayed for specifically was, uh, you know, I, I can't remember the exact thing, but it basically to uh, just to get some help and. In his mind, he thinks that's to get the cathedral, but as he realizes at the end, it's just to actually get him through this. And and by making his wife happy and and making these other decisions, it's nice to see David Niven's character grow and change over the course of the story as he realizes that what he's been pushing for is not what he really needs to be happy. You know, I think um, an actor as talented as David Niven is required for a role like this in otherwise a a, a light film, um, and and I think he pulled it off uh, really very well. Um, his relationship with his wife, Loretta Young, uh, plays his wife, Julia Broham, uh, which is, you know, I think one of the more... Um, I don't know, it's an interesting relationship. Uh, it doesn't feel like a very strong... Uh, marriage to me uh no it feels yeah. it feels a bit superficial and maybe that's just the tonal kind of nature of the of the period and of the of the style of the film but it feels fairly superficial and so when their marriage is tested uh which i did not expect at all uh the the marriage is tested because she has an affinity to dudley the angel and he uh, dudley the angel has an affinity a growing affinity for julia and they go skating, and it turns out Cary Grant, he can rock the ice. Uh, <laughs> Lates of glory all over again. Lates <laughs> of glory, indeed. Uh, and, uh, and, and so that, that kind of relationship, that testing of the relationship, it, it, it's, a, it's a, a fascinating twist. Uh, and and it's, I'm, I'm challenged a little bit to feel, um, well, I don't know how I, how I feel about it. I was, chal- was going to say I was challenged to feel sort of like I was hurting for the bishop because it didn't feel like their relationship was that strong anyway. Uh, but I'm, I'm more interested in this angle of uh, that, that Dudley was here and that everything he was doing had some effect on, on uh, Henry, on the bishop, that, that he was here maybe to test the bishop by testing their marriage. Does that make sense? Did you get any of that, or am I reading too much into it? Uh, no, I, I felt that too, and and that was kind of initially what I thought was uh, what Dudley was doing, is is working to make uh, Loretta Young, you know, her character, happy, um, because, uh, because the bishop wasn't doing it, and so Dudley was kind of working to make her happy again so that he could um, bring these two together, and it came as a bit of a surprise to me that actually um, Dudley ended up announcing that he actually was growing close to her. I was actually quite surprised by that, um, and uh, it was an interesting element to throw into the story. That because um, uh, I mean, you've seen stories like this where, um, uh, and I 
I don't know what they are, but I know I've seen <laughs> stories like this. But like where there is a character who comes into a a, a troubled relationship and um, kind of is playing them and uh, in a way to help them rekindle their relationship. And sometimes it comes at this in this element of of uh, feigning this attraction. And by doing so, it helps the other person realize, oh, hey, I'm really still attracted to this person that I'm, I'm actually with. And um, so I was expecting it to go that route. And so when, when he actually was you know, showing this uh, jealousy and announces to Henry that he actually uh, has this, uh, this jealousy because he is mortal and can actually love her and all that, I was like, wow, that's an interesting direction. I, I never expected it to go. Yeah, absolutely. And so on the flip side of that, how do you, you know, we have this set up in the beginning, sort of the first, I don't know, eight minutes or so, we have Dudley wandering around the snowy, uh, snowy downtown. And he's just helping everyone. And he, it's, it's like he's accidentally helping everyone. You know, he, at, at one point, he saves a baby carriage from rolling into a, a car. And, and uh, you know, he helps a blind man cross the street. And, and then, he, you know, he helps the, the professor. Uh, but, um, you know, as they're crossing the street, uh, the car just, there, there's a car careening toward them, and it just slams on its brakes. And there is no, you know, it's as if Dudley has no notice that this is happening. It's just anybody that he's touching is automatically helped. Right. Uh, and so you kind of get that feeling. And I can't help but but see that, um, you know, as as their relationship plays out, uh, as the relationship plays out between, you know, Dudley and uh, the bishop's wife, um, you know, he's there to help just by his presence alone uh, to help everybody he touches. Um, and, and so insofar as you know he's helping her to be happier in their relationship you know he's and and you know he is expressing his jealousy because you know the the bishop's there to love her it, you know his his role uh ends up being to accidentally sort of redeliver the or, or rede- help them rediscover their own faith in kind of humanity and existence and and uh, you know by not getting crushed by a car or just being happy and present in a relationship that is that should be stronger than it is uh, and I really liked that. I, you know, I kind of liked that angle of it. Um, speaking specifically of Cary Grant, though, it, you know, while I really felt a, an affinity to Loretta Young in her role and to David Niven, obviously in his role, Cary Grant, it, it, it's it's hard not to imagine him just sort of wandering through this film with a drink in his hand. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Oh, that's funny. Uh, yeah, I guess I, I can. Although it's funny because. I had I had more of an affinity for him and less of an affinity for Loretta Young's character. Well, I, I can see that. I mean, I, I I can I absolutely I want to hear more about that. But I I but 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 my Cary Grant thing. What was your affinity for? Was it him as Cary Grant or him as the angel in a suit? Uh, you know, I don't know. I, I think it was the cutesy way that he was playing the angel. There was something really. Uh, again, going back to kind of that light comedy that Cary Grant does so well, there was something about just kind of the uh, the looks that he would give when uh, he would, you know, save the carriage or or, or help the professor or um, you know the or when uh, the the maid shows up having gotten all of her Christmas shopping done ridiculously fast, all those little things like the look on his face. 
there's like there's no necessarily uh it's not like self-satisfaction and like look what i've done but it's just like this this kind of genuine uh happiness that that people are so happy from these things and i don't know there's something that he just does in his in his expression that i think kind of conveys that really nicely and i just really enjoyed seeing him just looking so casually happy about everything he was playfully happy about everything, but but I couldn't help but think, you know, hey, I'm so happy. I just waved a finger and typed a sermon without touching the typewriter. I just waved a finger and decorated a tree. You know, it, it's hard for me to not to see, hey, I just waved a finger and ate a turkey sandwich. You know, it was like, and, and I think if there's anything, that's the, that's the challenge that I have in the film overall. It's that he uh, distracts me uh, from... Or sort of resets the film whenever he's on on in the frame. It resets the film to a light comedy when you know David Niven's Broem is trying so hard to you know to actually tell a serious story. Yeah, right. Uh, and so that's where the film sort of feels out of balance, and it 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 loses that um, you know for me it loses that that sort of gem of. Um, of of holiday classic, like I can see why this isn't one that that really latched on as a well, holiday and it, classic. And it's funny because I mean it was really popular at the time. Well, I, I I shouldn't say that it wasn't really popular at the time. It actually kind of grew in its popularity. But mm-hmm. the thing that helped it gain in its popularity was um, at, at the time when it first came out. It was struggling trying to find its its audience, and they did some tests and found that because there's the movie called The Bishop's Wife, people felt it was a religious film, and they weren't interested in going. And so, uh, so Samuel Goldwyn, who had released the film, he decided to actually retitle the film, um, and he retitled it to Carrie and the Bishop's Wife, mm-hmm. which is nonsensical because Carrie is the actor— <laughs> Right, the bishop's and, wife and, is the character. Is, right, so it's like this weird blending of the two, but it actually helped draw crowds. And it says uh, it in in these uh, in these uh, markets where they did this, it increased business by as much as twenty five percent, just because his name was it was a part of the title of the film, <laughs> which I find so strange uh, that that's something that they would do in order to uh, sell a movie. But it also speaks to the presence of Cary Grant in the film and how it has this sense of I'm Cary Grant playing Dudley, this angel in this film, and look how casually happy I am and all of that. It, it speaks to the enjoyment people have of watching Cary Grant and, and uh, in a way it does kind of diminish the sense of the story on its own merits. So it's it's interesting that they went that way and it actually worked. And it, it, I think what it says is that people wanted to go see this movie because they enjoy watching Cary Grant as Cary Grant. I was just going to say, I you know, that really underscores his power as a box office lead. Uh, yes. and it's and they're seeing it and and I think your your example of changing the title of the film really calls to that. They're seeing it because of Cary Grant, not because of Dudley. Yeah. Uh, and they want to see him act like him. They want to see him pretend to be an angel. Yeah, what would Cary Grant do? In and this ice skate. And ice skate, right? Uh, so I can I can see that. So the um, uh, talk more about uh, Loretta, Loretta Young. You you said you you had you had some trouble finding an affinity with her. Uh, you know I just don't know. I, I 
I was thinking, I was looking kind of looking at her filmography and everything, and I don't know if I had ever actually seen her in anything. I was like, this might be the first time that I've seen Loretta Young. I mean, I've certainly heard her name. I know that she's done um, lots of projects, but um, yeah, I just, there's something about it that it just didn't, uh, I didn't fully connect with it. And maybe it was because of my trouble with the whole concept of this film being called The Bishop's Wife. And in my head, I kept trying to relate, okay, I know that she's unhappy and that he's trying to kind of make her happy, but it seems strange to me that it's called The Bishop's Wife because I just didn't feel like as the uh, the titular character, it's like, I don't know, there's something weird about that. And, and Loretta Young's character, while uh, she worked well and she, she played well op- opposite uh, Grant, there was just something kind of just oddly, uh, I don't know, maybe a little disinteresting to me that I just I just never really quite connected with. You know, that's interesting. And I, I think you put your finger on something that I've been chewing on too, which is this this idea of the weirdness of the title. Uh, since the story, what what is it that I feel like I'm missing because the title puts so much weight on her? Exactly. Right. What is it that I feels like I'm missing something uh, substantial in the telling of the story and her role between these two guys uh, that that maybe is not fully played out? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and 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 I don't know. Maybe that's uh, maybe that's lost in adaptation land. Yeah. Not having read the book, I, I don't know what else there might have been in Nathan's original novel about uh, the wife that might have made it in there. But uh, yeah, I think that's it. It just, it, it didn't, I just never quite felt like this was the character that kind of defined the film for me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You, you never saw the stranger. Mm. Orson Welles, 1946. You know, actually I did see that. I don't remember it very well. That's the one where like ends with him on the clock, right? I like that movie quite a bit. Yeah, it's been a long time since I've seen that. It's been a very long time. Yeah. Well, there she so, was. So I guess I did You've see You've got her. one credit. You've got one. Yeah, just one. That's the only one I had. Yes. Uh, anyhow, I, you know, you're right. I, I had a, a challenge with that. She, you know, and, but I think my challenge with her was more uh, that I, I just didn't see uh, their relationship. As, and, and maybe that's what I'm missing, you know, had I had, I had a, a greater uh, feeling about their relationship, their marriage, everything, all the other tests that came into play uh, would have meant something more. Uh, yeah. But, but it, it ended up not being a little bit flimsy. Um, okay. So uh, what do we know about uh, the wonderful uh, Henry Coster? Uh, well... First thing is he was not originally directing this film. Um, he was uh, William Sider was actually uh, originally directing this film, and uh, Samuel Goldwyn um, brought him on because uh, people were not, I guess, liking the direction of uh, the story, and so Samuel Goldwyn got rid of William Sider and brought on Henry Coster to make the whole new film. Um, uh, in addition to also bringing in uncredited. Uh, Billy Wilder and Charlie Charles Brackett to do some uncredited rewrites, um, but Henry Coster, I think, um, yeah, he's a director who I think brought a uh, 
uh, I, I don't know. I, I just think it was it was uh, it never felt like he was hitting me over the head with anything, and that's I think that the the danger of a film that deals with uh, religion or religious matters is that it can potentially end up being a little overbearing as far as its uh, its morals and everything. And that's something I really liked about this film is it never felt like it was hitting me over the head with anything. And uh, you know, I think Coster. Um, may have worked nicely with uh, um, bringing some of that out of uh, the story and with, with Grant and the way that Niven played it and everything. Um, and uh, so I, uh, as a whole, I really uh, I liked the directing style of the film. I mean, it fit for the period, certainly, um, but I, it, never, it never was overbearing. And, and Coster uh, is certainly somebody who had been around for a little while by the time he ended up directing this. Um, and he ended up, uh, you know, continuing to direct um, from, I mean, really from the 30s all the way until, uh, it looks like his last credit I see was The Singing Nun in 1966. Yeah, he's uh, he has his name on some, you know, uh, some fairly powerful films, classic film, Harvey, mm-hmm. uh, you know, um, original My Blue Heaven. I mean, he's been around, he's done a, done a lot of a lot of stuff. Uh, he got nominated for uh, Best Director for this one. Right, right. Um, I, you know, I agree with you. I think he has a nice, uh, 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 it's a, a very practical sense of, of, um, staging, uh, in these, in this film. It's, uh, everything seems to, you know, work fairly well. You know, there's nothing that, uh, there's nothing in here that's, that's particularly overbearing or, or, um, uh, you know, he just has a nice sense of the frame. Yeah, he definitely does. Uh, the dinner. I'm looking at some shots from the dinner scene right now. The first dinner scene after we meet Dudley, and they're you know it's, they're sitting very very far apart, and he does a really nice. Uh, it's it's just a really nice setup and a wonderful portrayal of David Niven in absolute discomfort as he picks up his water glass and drinks gingerly with both hands, <laughs> uh, and it's it's one of the best moments I think for him. Uh, you know, in this film, he is a, he's just such a great actor. Um. Yeah, I, I can't help but feel like he, like you know, and for Cary Grant too. Like this is just a film where these got some some talented people who are a little bit out of place. David Niven is somebody that I, I, I he's so identifiable by me. Um, but then I looked at his credits. I'm like, wow, I have seen next to nothing of his. <laughs> like uh, other than like the Pink Panther movies, yeah. I think that's that is what I know him for. It's just funny that that's kind of how. Uh, and then maybe like Candleshoe, kind of some of those early uh, Disney films in my life and stuff. Oh, but I, I think it was just Around like, the World in Eighty Days, Guns oh, of Navarone, oh, yeah. Around please. the World in Eighty Days. That's the other one. You know, it's, it's all the stuff that I saw when I was younger. Yeah, A Man Called Intrepid TV. That was a good one. Yeah, he's uh, he's he, well, he's been around for a, a long time. One of my very favorite films of his was um, was the original uh, Murder by Death, um, mm-hmm. which was classic uh, adaptation of the Neil Simon, Neil Simon's own adaptation. Uh, I still haven't seen that one. What? I know. Uh, I know. What's great is that it's uh, it's actually uh, David Niven and Peter Sellers. Anyway, it's great. All right. And, and uh, isn't that also have uh, Peter Falk and uh, Alec Guinness? Truman, Truman Capote and Alec Guinness, yeah. That's, uh, I believe we're going to be talking about that next year. 
<laughs> it's one of my very favorites. I'll finally get to see it. Yeah. I can't wait. All right. Well, uh, good talk. <laughs> uh, who else do you want to talk about? Well, before we jump uh, too far into everyone else, I just want to talk about Cary Grant a little bit because we haven't talked about him. And he's, you know, uh, by so many people's standards, always seems to end up at the top of, uh, you know, the list of like the, the best, the greatest movie stars, all those sorts of things. And is somebody who never ended up winning an Oscar. He was nominated a couple of times. He did get kind of the special Lifetime Achievement Award and all that. Um, but, uh, and actually, uh, um, somebody who won Best Original Screenplay um, back in uh, 1965 um, said, my thanks to Cary Grant, who keeps winning these things for other people. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, clearly he's a guy who, uh, you know, he, he's got great talent. And he's, he's a very interesting person. And I knew nothing about, uh, about Cary Grant's life other than that he was born Archibald Leach. That, I think, is probably the only thing that I knew about him. Um, but his his uh, mother uh, was put in a mental mental institution when he was nine by his father. She was uh, depressed, and his father uh, told him that she'd gone on away on a holiday. And then later he told her that she had died, and he had gone on believing that his mother was dead until he was thirty one. When his father, on his deathbed, told him that he had lied and that he could go find her in a care facility. Um, which just blows my mind. It's like, God, that's yeah, horrible. Just horrible. imagine. I know. And then uh, his father had remarried, started a new family that apparently did not include him. And uh, it, it, from what I've read, there's not a whole lot known about who took care of him until he was off on his own. Um, he was born in England, and then he came over to the U.S. in 1920, got processed over on Ellis Island, and uh, then finally became a, a U.S. citizen in 1942, and that's when he also changed his name from Archibald Leach to Cary Grant because all these you know people in Hollywood were saying, "Hey, you know, you've got to change your name." He was going to change it to Cary Lockwood. They liked the 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 studio bosses at Paramount liked the name Cary, but they didn't like Lockwood. So he went for the initials CG because he said it, it was lucky already for Clark Gable and Gary Cooper having those two <laughs> initials. So he picked Grant. Well, and they gave him a list of last names to pick. Ah, the good old days. Oh, that's too funny. I know. That is too funny. So strange. Um, what else? Oh, a, another interesting tidbit that I don't know if you know, but um, Albert Broccoli and Harry Salzman originally uh, talked to him about playing James Bond. They said no to him because he said he would love to do it, but he only would commit to one. Yeah, that's that ends up being so, a problem. That doesn't work very well. No. And Cary Grant was also the first actor to, quote-unquote, go independent. Uh, he didn't renew his studio contract and left the studio system. And he ended up becoming an actor who kind of controlled what he did. And, um, uh, you know, whether it's working with a studio or uh, a different studio, and uh, even to the point of getting uh, negotiating a share of the revenue and stuff like that. And, for example, To Catch a Thief, when he did that with uh, Alfred Hitchcock, um, just from the gross, he ended up receiving more than $700,000 for his 10% of the gross. And Alfred Hitchcock received less than 50000 to direct and produce the film. Wow. So, yeah. Nice, nice deal. Smart. Changed, smart changed an industry. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah. Uh, he's an actor I've always loved. I think he's just... Uh, um, 
just so much fun to watch in whatever he does, whether it's the, you know, the Hitchcock films that he does or whether it's the lighter films like Arsenic and Old Lace or Bringing Up Baby or Charade, which is one of my personal favorite films. Um, just a fantastic actor and so much fun to watch. The, uh, you know, it's the, it's the Hitchcock films that for me, I, I think really put him in place. And obviously, you know, many others, uh, agree. They're very, very popular films. Um, and I, I think he's, you know, that's where we get to see him at his, uh, at his very best, right? You know, this, this light stuff, people want to go see Cary Grant pretending to be in a movie, but the guy has, has talent. Uh, and and I think it he really brings it to bear and in other films not this one. Yeah, right, exactly. Uh, do you think that it is homage that John Cleese's character in A Fish Called Wanda was Archie Leach? I I would definitely think so. I mean, Cary Grant is somebody who um, was never shy about joking about it. I believe in uh, I think it was Arsenic and Old Lace. There's an actual uh, tombstone at one point that actually has the name Archie yeah. Leach on it. And then in His Girl Friday, um, he actually has a line that says, I never had so much fun since Archie Leach died. <laughs> so it's just one of those things where uh, I, he's always uh, kind of been uh, not been shy about uh, poking fun at himself, which I think is great. And yeah, I mean, I, I would think that, uh, y- you know, it's definitely something that John Cleese would have known about and I think would uh, definitely have wanted to kind of um, pay that little tribute to him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's a wonderful little retrospective you've done there, Andy. Thank you for that. Uh, you betcha. What's it? So what, what is your, what'd you say your favorite, uh, Cary Grant film is? Did you say, was it, was it, uh, charade? charade? Yep. That's in my top five. Near the I very end. Yep. Yep. In your top five. Really? Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a just a such a fun film to watch, and it's you know it's one of those films that I think um, I I happen to catch at a young age, and I always find that the films that I caught at a young age end up sticking with me. Well, I don't I don't have a great memory of it, but I'll tell you, I have a hard time not watching Audrey Hepburn films, so mm-hmm. I I would probably enjoy popping that in. Yeah, we should talk about that one day. Yeah, we should add it to the list. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, who else? strikes your fancy monty woolley i love as the professor mm-hmm. there's something about him that uh just uh, is very fun to watch and um and that's another character that i found really interesting the way that again in a very gentle not uh overt way you watch this guy who you know his affinity for christmas is only from his childhood but over the course of the story and through his kind of contact with uh, Dudley, you get this uh, this sense that he's kind of rekindling a uh, a possible connection with the church. And I thought that was really nice. I did, too. I, I love their exchange. We meet Monty Woolley or, or, or the professor in the opening sequence as in a, a wonderful exchange of, of, um, of words between uh, him and the angel. Uh, as he's saying, didn't I see you in? Yes. And you were doing that? Yes. In that book that you wrote? Yes. You know, and he keeps cutting that him off. Great. It is a great exchange, and it leaves the professor just slightly dizzied uh, standing on the street and uh, uh, confused. And yet, you know, uh, it it sort of builds, it starts to build his confidence, uh, uh, you know, early on. I think it's a, it's a, a great 
uh, a great little character twist and a, a wonderful addition to the film for sure. Having him, absolutely him there, absolutely. I, uh, you know, he's been nominated for Oscars twice. I don't know, uh, you know, I, I feel like he is. I, I haven't seen enough of his films, um, but uh, even you know, Man Who Came to Dinner, um, you know, I mean, I, I don't know much about his films. Have you seen much other Monty Woolley stuff? No, he's another one that I, you know, looking through his filmography, I'm like, gosh, I haven't seen, I don't think I've seen anything else that he did. Yeah. It's that wonderful sort of crossover, this sort of Venn diagram of 40s actors, you know, that, that I, I think it, it's fun to kind of trace them. Uh, it goes back to that Six Degrees series we need to do. Ah, uh, yes. Here, here. It could start here. <laughs> uh Monty Woolley, lovely as the professor. Let's see. Uh, uh, who else strikes you uh, as exciting? Well, Gladys Cooper. Um, she's in this as the... Um, Mrs. Hamilton. Yeah, right. And um, she's just she's one of those actresses who has uh, just been around for a heck of a long time. I mean, she was um, you know, acting in silent films and, and did a lot of, just a lot of stuff. Well, so she... Yeah, she's got uh, kind of a quite a career up into the uh, up into the '60s. She was in My Fair Lady. She was in uh, um, Madame Bovary, and uh, you know she had um, uh, just uh, just somebody who's been around a lot. I think one of my favorite films that she's in is Now Voyager, uh, which is just uh, really an amazing film. And then she was also she worked with Hitchcock in Rebecca. She's great. Uh, have you seen Mrs. Parkington? I haven't. I haven't that too. That was a good film. And then I also thought that we should talk about Elsa Lanchester, who is the maid, right? Because Adorable. She's great as the maid here, and I didn't even recognize her uh, because she. There's just so much, uh, you know, kind of almost this goofy joy with this character here. But she is the bride of Frankenstein. <laughs> <laughs> Like, no way. Yeah, and it's just it, it was just funny to uh to see her uh being this sort of uh, jovial riot. character. Yeah. So it's uh, She is. Look at those pictures. Uh-huh. She's the bride of Frankenstein. She is. Oh, what a great catch. Yeah, isn't that just so funny? And she's she's somebody that I have seen a lot because she was in a lot of those Disney films. Like she was right. in Mary Poppins. She was in Mary Poppins. That's Katie Nana. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Blackbeard's Ghost. Um, so she's somebody that I uh, saw a lot more. The Man from Uncle. She was on that. Oh, I knew she looked familiar, but now that I see her as the Bride of Frankenstein, I'm never going to be able to let that go. And Murder by Death. There you go. Six degrees. Six degrees. <laughs> that's a great catch wow so, yeah very funny and then carolyn grimes who plays the daughter is also uh she's uh, uh zuzu in it's wonderful life <laughs> that's right so that's fam- famous for being the kid anybody else you're in love with here uh you know i think that's about it i think that's uh you know for the for the cast i think we hit them all all right uh let's talk about uh, the uh the script. 
All righty. Uh, Robert Sherwood and uh, Leonardo Bercovici, and obviously uh, with uncredited um, uh, contributions from Billy Wilder and Charles Brackett. What do you know about right. how this how the script was put together? Uh, you know, I'm not sure. You know, this was the days when the studio would, would kind of snatch things up, and it was all studio run. Um, my understanding is uh, Robert Sherwood kind of worked for the studio and, and mm-hmm. wrote for the studio. Um, interestingly, he was one of the uh, you know the quote unquote vicious circle. Oh, with, talk uh, about that with Mrs. Parker and all of that. So um, I, I don't know what else to say about that except <laughs> except he was in it. Now he was uh, he was one of the uh, the one of the guys, and uh, you know they made that movie, uh, Mrs. Parker and the Vicious Circle. Yes. Uh, and uh, yeah, Nick Cassavetes played him in it. Well, they call it, it was the Algonquin Round Table, and it was uh, you know this group of writers: Dorothy Parker, Robert Benchley, and they. Uh, I, I mean, really, it was just kind of like a kind of a I don't know a group that uh, just kind of hung out, you know, and and uh, <laughs> in New York, wrote. right? It was there. It was yeah. the the um, at the hotel. It was the Algonquin Hotel. Yeah, so. I mean, it was there. There were a lot of New York writers in it uh, in in this Algonquin Roundtable. Um, it was around. Uh, they met for lunch every day at the hotel from about 1919 to about 1929, and uh, yeah, they just you know it was an opportunity for them to, uh, as wordsmiths, to you know be witty and uh, you know throw witty banter back and forth and use that to kind of you know stimulate their minds some more in their writing. Mm-hmm. I think we need to eat lunch together more, Andy. <laughs> Apparently so. It's a giant round table. <laughs> it would make us that much more witty. Uh, and uh, Leonardo Bercovici uh, was uh, uh, was part of this. Uh, interestingly, oh, well, I don't know. Is he, he gets a credit on the remake I guess Robert Sherwood does too of the Preacher's Wife. Have you seen the Preacher's Wife? No, that's uh, yeah, not one that uh, it wasn't high on your came list. Out, came out in '96. It it just never looked interesting to me. Denzel Washington, Whitney Houston, Penny Marshall directed it. It just wasn't something that uh, struck my fancy at the time. Yeah, and, I missed uh, this one too. Yeah. Um, Nat Mulden and Alan Scott contemporized it. Yeah. 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 Doesn't stri- didn't strike me. All right, um, all right. So uh, the script in general is it, it's you know structured as pretty much a holiday film. You would imagine there's nothing in here that was particularly uh, um, there, there, no Inception moments. No, it, and you know I think it just it's it's very uh, it's a very you know straightforward script, and and like we said. Um, neither of us have read the book, so we don't know if there was additional material that focused on the wife that might have made the title kind of make a little more sense. Mm-hmm. But that being said, I mean, the movie, it, it struck its uh, chord with, uh, with the critics and everything. And I mean, it got its share of Oscar nominations when it came out uh, or when the Oscars uh, rolled around. Um, you know, it was nominated for Best Picture. I mean, it, yeah. you know, it got um, Best... Uh, Best musical score in a, a dramatic or comedy, best editing and best director, and then it won the Oscar for best sound. Gordon Sawyer picked up the uh, the little gold statue for that one, um, and 
Um, I mean, I guess it sounded great. It was up against only two films, Green Dolphin Street and T-Men. And I've seen T-Men, and I quite enjoy T-Men. I personally uh, would probably have picked T-Men, but maybe that's just because I uh, might enjoy the uh, noir feel a little mm-hmm. bit more than this one. But um, but still, I think that... Uh, um, yeah, it worked. I, I think there was a nice little bit in the sound that uh, um, the the uh, every time um, uh, the bishop was about to say angel, there was kind of this little bell effect that would kind of come in and kind of almost like interrupt him. <laughs> you know, it's it it kind of cute. Yeah, it's very cute. cute. Yeah. Uh, the film uh, was later, uh, the book, I should say, was again later uh, uh, adapted as a radio play in 1948, and uh, Cary Grant, Loretta Young, Dave Niven uh, uh, reprised their roles. Uh, it, it happened several times after that. Uh, Tyrone Power joined the ranks in 1949 uh, with Cary Grant and Phyllis Thaxter. Uh, and so it's been it's been around, and you can find it. It's uh, you can find the uh, original radio uh, play, uh, and uh, I think I, I think I found, I found the link at archive.org. I'll have to dig that up and see if I can put it in there. So you can go listen to it too, and it sounds it sounds very similar. Yeah, remarkably good. similar to the film. <laughs> um, any other observations in this? How does it? How did it uh, kindle your holiday heart? You know, it uh, it I think it did fine. It's interesting. It's not a huge focus on Christmas. Um, obviously, it is Christmas time. People are shopping and everything, but really, its focus on the story is all about this uh, uh, the bishop and his his need to get this uh, cathedral made. But what I did find endearing was this. Um, this turn that people made, particularly toward the last uh, uh, la- last act of the film, when um, when Dudley goes and uh, and uh, uh, gets Mrs. Hamilton to change her tune as far as donating money to get this cathedral made, mm-hmm. um, there was something about that spirit that I did enjoy, and it did kind of give a sense of that Christmas spirit. So while it's not out and out a straight up like Christmas comedy or anything like that. I did feel that it stuck with the spirit and I enjoyed it. I definitely enjoyed it. I did too. I think it, it is, um, you know, it's a warm film. It is as, as much as I um, am critical of just seeing Cary Grant parade himself around. It is fun to see Cary Grant parade himself around in a, in a suit and being the angel. Uh, I agree with you that moment at the end when he changes her tune is uh, it, it's really quite delightful. And at the end, you know, the final uh, Christmas Eve midnight when Harry's delivering his plagiarized sermon, uh, you know, I you end up uh, you know uh, it, it ends up feeling good. It was the hand of an angel uh, that gave him the words and. And it ends up feeling, uh, feeling like it 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 closes with warmth. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I I did like it. I like that it is attached to our uh, holiday collection now, and I uh, I'm I'm glad we watched this one. Oh, absolutely. How so? How did it do? You mentioned earlier it's got a, a slow build. Uh, yes, and uh, that's all I could find. <laughs> it is, uh, you know, some of these older films. It's really, uh, it's nigh impossible to find uh, any statistical information as far as how much it cost, uh, how much uh, they made. I couldn't find anything. All right. Yeah. Well, sad to say, it's a good segment. How about we rank it? 
let's do it. <laughs> Head over to Flickchart, everybody, at uh, flickchart.com slash the next reel. You can see uh, the list of our favorite films, and we'll see if this one, you know, we'll see if it cracks the top 97. Oh, let's do it. All right, The Bishop's Wife or Hot Fuzz? <laughs> hot let's Fuzz. Hot Fuzz, yes. Uh, the Bishop's Wife or The Sandlot? I'm going to say The Bishop's Wife. I would do The Sandlot. All right. I'll go The Sandlot. Well, I mean, I'm not that serious about The Bishop's Wife. Okay. We're good. just getting to know each other. <laughs> 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 uh, you were saying? Oh, all right. Well, moving on. The Bishop's Wife or Escape from New York? Oh. I, I Wow. Probably. <laughs> Escape I would from do the Bishop. New York was not a great film. Yeah, I have issues with it. Like, I feel like I watched it. I'm like, ah, that might need to. That might be the last time we need to watch that movie. Yeah, I think the Bishop's Wife. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Bishop's Wife or Clute? I think I'll go Clute on yeah, this one. I would go Clute. The Bishop's Wife or Christine? I'd do the Bishop's Wife. I think I would too. Mm, only after this. Her. Only after this. Uh, um, this viewing of Christine. I think if you yeah. asked me before we done, I would have picked Christine. I agree. I think so, too. So, uh, Carpenter is not winning out this round. Oh. Uh, the Bishop's Wife or Troll Hunter? The Bishop's Wife. <laughs> troll Hunter is so much fun. Oh. I like Troll Hunter. Yeah. I did, too. I did, too. I, yes, but I'll go with Bishop's Wife. Uh, the Bishop's Wife. Or, oh, no, we did Clute already, so... Um, that leaves it. Look at that. Number 136 out of 164. Oh, wow, not even close to 97. Not even. Not even. Mm. But you know what? It's it's still in good company. Clute, The Game, Troll Hunter, uh, Parallax View. They're all kind of in the yeah. African Queen. Yeah, so good it's, films. Yeah, it's in a good company right there. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Uh, this was uh, this was a good talk. Where do we? So here we're gonna we're gonna cross the uh, new year, mm-hmm. and our next holiday film next week. We are we're doing I think another really warm, sensitive, uh, kind of uh, te- way to tease in the new year. Where do we go? Yeah, it is. Uh, we're going to uh, sink a ship with the Poseidon <laughs> Adventure. <laughs> we're gonna open up 2015. Just just. Kick out the jams with a classic disaster flick. Oh, yeah. Oh, I love it. This is going to be fun. I haven't seen this one in a little while, so I'm looking forward to jumping back so into the, the, the big puddle. Hackman. That's right. Oh. Gene Hackman and everybody else. And everybody else. It's practically the love boat. It really is. <laughs> uh, I can't wait to talk about this one. Uh, until then, I got to go to bed. All right. I'm going to go decorate a tree. go first so amazon this week i get i get just the big question mark from genie one star who says this is a weird angel who wants to have a fling with a pastor's wife boo i don't call this a classic
<laughs> well, at least we saw the same movie. That's right. It is about an angel that wants to have a pair of five. Mine is, uh, is the uh, uh, well-titled Crap One Star. <laughs> Supposedly intelligent people blathering about stuff my grandmother could have told them like it was really unique. Don't waste your time. Ouch. I know. That was just this year, 2014. Harsh, harsh words, yeah. Mm. Amazon. I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms. But in August 2022, we switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM. And it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content. And we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable, too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15-plus years, Transistor has been, hands down, the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world... Go to thenextreel.com slash transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash transistor. Start growing your podcast today.